1: You're on right now with Jim Dawes coming to you on the Mojo 50 radio network and bringing you the news behind the news the story behind the story here to convince you the reality is usually scoffed at and illusion is usually king we're live on iHeartRadio and available as a podcast on iTunes iHeart YouTube and Twitter and you can follow me on Twitter at, right now Jim Dawes Or you can shoot me an email at rightnowjimdaws at gmail.com Or you can call the vent line and leave your rants at 772-245-0750 That's 772-245-0750 start the show today by sending my prayers and best wishes out to the the good people along the gulf coast of florida alabama and mississippi that are just getting deluged by hurricane sally moving very slowly and dumping lots of rain on biloxi mobile and pensacola and i've got a lot of listeners in that area and i want you to know that i'm thinking of you and uh let me let me hear from you and know how you're doing. Uh, I've I've reached out, not heard back from a lot of people. The Weather Channel uh, says this is going to be a very slow moving storm and continue to dump rain. Uh, and even after it moves on up, it's going to continue to uh, to flood that area with the runoff from uh, from Georgia and uh, and the the lower Alabama. Here is our Florida uh, Governor DeSantis giving his report on the state of the uh, conditions there on the Gulf Coast right now.
0: The Florida Republican Governor Ron DeSantis, sir, thank you for your time and good afternoon to you. I know you've been keeping a very close eye on the storm. Uh, she, she turned your way. What is the latest on the panhandle now, Governor?
2: Well, it was a major water event for places like Escambia and Santa Rosa counties. Uh, As you go further east from there, you are seeing uh, a lot of water in some of those other counties. But really those scenes you see from Pensacola where you have several feet of water building up and like the downtown area is the most hard-hit area. We had had in Florida uh, search and rescue teams mobilized. I have National Guard mobilized. Federal government's been helpful. And then the local emergency responders, the sheriffs and all their other personnel in those counties are fantastic. So there's already been hundreds of rescues. Uh, We've had 15 air rescues through the Coast Guard. Uh, We also have National Guard air assets uh, that that are en route to assist that effort as well. Uh, So we knew that because it was so slow that it was just going to dump a lot of water. We were hoping that it didn't quite go toggle East like it did, uh, but we had the assets in place and so the main thing we want to do right now, protect people's lives of course. Uh, the next thing that's going to need to be done is to get power back on because you have hundreds of thousands who are without power. Um, and then of course the third thing will be looking at the property damage and getting people back up on their feet. It's important to note though, what you see in the flooding now um, is obviously very significant. There's likely going to be more flooding over the next couple of days as the water that's being dumped in Georgia for example. Mm. Mm-hmm. starts to move its way down to Florida. You have, obviously, the water that's surged from the from the Gulf is still there. And so a lot of those rivers are going to overflow. Uh, so the folks on the ground are planning for that as well. They may need to do some more evacuation. So um, it's a difficult situation, uh, but I can tell you, there's a lot of great people on the ground doing a lot of great things. No, no doubt
1: about that. Well, we, um, we are used to hurricanes and lots of rain down here in Florida. Um, we are blessed. <laughs> with flat land. So the, uh, the floodwaters will dissipate once the, uh, the rain and, uh, and runoff start stops, but it's going to be a rough, uh, couple of days, uh, recovering and getting back on their feet. And I hope you'll join me in praying for the, uh, the good citizens of the Florida panhandle and, uh, and, uh, the Gulf coast of Alabama and Mississippi as well. I got a, I got an email from a listener, uh, that put me on notice that Joe Biden is advertising on my show and asking me what's up with that. (laughs) I did not know that Joe Biden was advertising on my show. I don't, I don't do the ad insertions. I'm not the ad buyer. These are uh, done through automation. I'm on, you know, uh, a couple of dozen, uh, podcasting platforms across the internet. And, um, some of those uh, do, you know, advertising on the show that I'm not even aware of. But I, I did listen in, and uh, Joe Biden is uh, is advertising heavily. He's doing pre rolls and mid rolls on this show. I, I, I do not endorse, nor do I uh, try to uh, throttle his freedom of speech to advertise on the show. But that's uh, pretty, pretty funny that Joe Biden. I guess it wouldn't make sense for you know joe biden to be advertising on cnn and msnbc those lunatics are going to vote for him anyway and i guess uh maybe you go uh you know try to find voters uh, where you can but uh joe biden is is heavy on this this show if uh, if you hear one know that i'm i'm not putting it on there and for goodness sakes don't uh, don't stop listening there's an interesting development out in Minneapolis, home of the defund the police movement, ground zero for the violent Black Lives Matter Antifa riots, burned whole sections of the city. And the city council there is um, is all on board with uh, with defunding the police. They voted unanimously to defund the police. They've had officers leaving in droves. Because it's quite clear that uh, they don't have any political support there. And in fact, the, uh, the elected government in Minneapolis is actively opposed to its own police department. Well, now, lo and behold, crime is soaring. People can't leave their homes any longer in Minneapolis. If they go out to walk their dog or let their children play, they are immediately set upon by these emboldened criminal elements in their city and they're wondering where are the police where are the police <laughs> the the city council actually called the uh, police chief on the carpet at one of their study sessions chief medarina ardiello grilling him on what the heck is going on. He's, uh what's going on with all these carjackings and robberies and assaults and shootings. What is your department doing about it? Where are the police? <laughs> uh, life comes at you fast. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, uh, I said on Twitter this morning, I, I'm trying, I'm struggling to find a word that adequately describes the, the, Idiocy—the complete idiocracy—that's going on there in Minneapolis. These council members who wanted to reimagine policing are suddenly shocked that if they're going to undermine the police um, and and try to defund them, run as many of them off as they can, that crime would increase. We didn't we didn't expect that. Here's a clip from a uh, Minneapolis police officer describing the uh, morale in his department at this time.
3: Our, Our morale has never been lower. Um, I think it, it speaks volumes for the cops who still come to this city every day and still put it all on the line every day because, let's be honest, we signed up for this job and we know that death could result in what we do. We know that. But when you have the people, the very people that you are given your life for to protect, turn on you, and make you feel like you're on your own, it, ain't, it wasn't enough to just get disciplined, you know. It wasn't enough to, to possibly get suspended or fired. We are put in a position right now where every Minneapolis cop feels that they're the next incident. They're scared to death to answer calls in case something turns violent because they're actively trying to send us to prison. Cops are scared of dying and they're scared of going to prison.
1: Yeah. You, uh, that, that fear is well-founded. There is a war on cops, not only in in Minneapolis, but in cities across this country, New York city, Portland, Seattle, Oakland, Atlanta. You could go on and on. They want to reimagine policing. They want to reimagine policing where the police officers that they count on for the public safety are um are uh, somehow the enemy they're the bad guys they've made common cause with the uh, criminal elements and now they're wondering what's going on here is a montage of these democrat elected officials and talking heads on what they want for the future of policing
2: folks in law enforcement that share the goals of reimagining
0: policing,
4: Reimagining body. policing in the 21st century.
1: Rethinking and
4: reimagining policing. Community efforts to reimagine policing. To reimagine
3: policing. We have to reimagine what policing looks like. Reimagining policing, reimagining our public safety.
2: Reimagine a citizen-led approach. You can begin to reimagine law enforcement.
0: Reimagine public safety in this country. What can we do to reimagine public safety?
1: Reimagining public safety. It goes on and on. Yeah, we're reimagining it. We're reimagining it, right, uh, all right. We're reimagining uh, it, increased crime, lawlessness, out-of-control riots. You know, they, uh, in the early days of the uh, George Floyd riots, and I could go on and on about that, uh, that injustice that's happening to Derek Chauvin, the, uh, the mayor pulled out and allowed the mob to burn down a police precinct right down there in the middle of downtown. They, they, um, they issued a contract to rebuild that police precinct. Well, now the guy that won the contract is pulling out because the Black Lives Matter thugs have been busy vandalizing his, uh, his construction site and threatening him. Up to and including going to his home, so he doesn't want any part of that. That's sort of a reimagining that's going on there. And we have now learned that the the bail fund that was set up in Minnesota that has expanded all across the country that is bailing out these violent rioters has uh, bailed out a man who raped an eight year old girl. This is a this is a bail fund that has been advocated and supported by the Democrats presidential slash vice presidential candidate Kamala Harris bailed out a man accused charged with raping an eight-year-old girl you know that's going to be some pretty high bail you would think I I don't know maybe with these George Soros DAs uh, don't consider that a high priority uh, felon to keep in jail You know, on yesterday's show, I talked about the tactic where they're going to Trump supporters' homes and surrounding it with uh, protesters shouting threats, shining lasers and flashlights in people's houses and uh, chanting, um, you know, uh, hate speech at Trump supporters. And uh, and they arrested um, a homeowner in Milwaukee because he had the nerve to inside his own home Hold up uh, a shotgun. He was probably scared to death for his life, and letting the uh, the people that were in his in front of his house, around his house, let him let him know that he is uh, prepared to defend himself. This uh, this group is actually headed by a man named Vaughn Mize. He describes him, himself as Milwaukee's Malcolm X. He's been posting personal information on Trump supporters and then showing up at their homes. Mize had previously been arrested for trying to firebomb a police station during the Sherman Park riots in 2016. Now, how you can go into somebody's home and arrest them for uh, displaying their weapon inside their own home is uh, bewildering. But I'm looking for the police chief's quote here defending this absurd arrest. Officers made contact with the subject and observed that he appeared to be intoxicated. Well, he's inside his own home. He was subsequently arrested for endangering safety by the use of a dangerous weapon while under the influence of intoxicant, disorderly conduct, and being armed. Criminal charges will be referred to the Milwaukee County District Attorney. Well, there's a charge that one of these Soros DAs can really get behind. They're going to punish the target of their terrorism campaign, Black Lives Matter terrorism campaign. Stick with us. We'll be right back.
5: Whether you're moving in together for the first time.
6: This can be your closet.
5: Or you're a new parent to a little fur baby. Viva Paper Towels can help you maintain a clean home. They're two times more durable when wet compared to the leading value brand. So they clean like cloth, helping you pick up after your new pet in your new home. For an exceptional cloth-like clean, use Viva Towels. Visit vivatowels.com to learn more and start fresh with a clean feeling of home.
1: Well, on yesterday's show, I uh, I covered this, uh, this coup template the color revolutions that the State Department, CIA, and uh, and George Soros and other leftist um, negative forces uh, have been engaged in in the Ukraine and Egypt and well, Libya and um, Georgia and lots of Eastern European countries, where they they don't agree with the democratically elected government there. They, they tried this also in Poland and Hungary as well. And, uh, and they put together this template that is, uh, that is a, uh, a roadmap on how to go about destabilizing and removing democratically elected governments. This, this document has been put together by Norm Eisen. It's, uh, I'm going to put a link to it up on my, uh, my page It's called the Democracy Playbook, Preventing and Reversing Democrat Backsliding. And uh, they couch it in the terms of defending democracy. But when you dig into it, it is anything but. It is a way to uh, undermine civil society, undermine law enforcement, undermine the uh, independent media, and make sure that they're uh, on board with the correct talking points it even talks about how to threaten the private sector so that they uh, they get on board too they basically want to capture every institution of society in order to uh, reverse an election and this is the exact same document that's going to be used after the election if and when uh, Donald Trump is reelected they're going to uh, muddy up the the election with the mail-in voting schemes. They're going to mobilize their media mouthpieces to say that, you know, the rule of law and democracy is under threat. They're going to call the election unfair. They're going to appeal to the military to uh, to engage in a coup. They're going to use every tactic that they have perfected for going on a decade now to, uh, to well, I guess, yes, it's since the beginning of the Obama administration, so it's a little over a decade. Soros is a, 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 a big uh, power center. He's got an interlocking network of so-called nonprofits that fund seminars and conferences to talk about and organize these color revolutions. And yesterday, and he's doing it right here in the United States too, he's, uh, we've seen how he's undermining law enforcement by uh, installing these, uh, these district attorneys that refuse to support the law. You know, di- district attorneys races used to be very unremarkable. Uh, they were a vulnerability because you could take uh, a little bit of money and win those races by getting your name out there and, and hiding your true intentions. Well, yesterday on uh, Fox News, on the show hosted by Harris Faulkner, outnumbered, Newt Gingrich was on, and uh, he he called out exactly what's going on, and the reaction from the uh, the ladies on outnumbered was pretty telling about Fox News and their agenda.
0: Destroyed by this violence. Yeah, it's no. so <clears> true.
5: <throat> they represent everybody. Harris. Right. Speaker Gingrich, I know yeah. you have a final thought for
6: us. Yeah. Look, the number one problem in almost all these cities is George Soros elected left wing, anti-police, pro-criminal district attorneys who refuse to pe- keep people locked up. Uh, just yesterday, they put somebody back on the street who's wanted for two different murders in New York City. Uh, you cannot solve this problem. And both Harris and and Biden have talked very proudly about what they call progressive district attorneys. Progressive district attorneys are anti-police, pro-criminal, and overwhelmingly elected with George Soros' money, and they're a major cause of the violence we're seeing because they keep putting the violent criminals back on the street.
0: I'm not sure we need to bring George get Soros last. into this. I was gonna say you'd get the last word, he Speaker.
6: Uh, he 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 paid for it. I mean, why can't we discuss the fact that millions no, of he dollars didn't. he printed? I, I agree with but Melissa. George me Soros
1: speaking. doesn't need to be a part of this conversation.
6: Okay. So it's both. All right. We're gonna
1: Awkward. Okay. Awkward. Of course you're not allowed to utter George Soros' name. He is Voldemort. He whose name must not be spoken. And of course, that is a clear illustration that George Soros has tentacles that reach right into the Fox newsroom. And, uh, and, uh, they had a guest on, I, I guess all of the hosts have been put on notice that they're not allowed to expose exactly what George Soros is up to in this country. I've got a clip here. Let's see if we've got enough time for it. Uh, talks about the roots of George Soros and uh, how he became such a twisted, evil man. As a, a Christian, right.
4: And you watched lots of people get shipped off to the death camps, right. I was 14 years old. And I would say that that's when my character was made. In what way? that one should think ahead, one should understand and and anticipate events, Uh, and uh, one one is threatened. It was a tremendous threat of evil.
1: I I didn't do a good job setting this up. They talk about George Soros' father. He came from a Jewish family, placing him with a Christian family in order to uh, prepare for what was coming. And George Soros became part of the Nazi uh, teams that were dispossessing the Jews that were being shipped off to concentration camps. The uh, host on 60 Minutes, whose name escapes me right now, was asking him if that didn't uh, didn't twist him, didn't bother him. Adopted God's son. Yes, yes. Went out, in fact, and helped in the confiscation of yes. property from the Jews.
6: That's right. Yes.
1: I mean that's
4: that sounds uh, like an experience that would send lots of people to the psychiatric couch for many many years. Was it difficult? Uh,
6: uh, Not 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 at all. Not at all.
4: uh, Maybe as a child you don't you don't see the connection. Uh, but it was It created no No problem at
1: all no, feeling. no problem at all He says He actually goes on Later on in that interview To say those were The happiest days Of his life So you've got a man That uh, has specialized In destabilizing Governments around the world He uh, He made his fortune By speculating In currencies He creates instability And then he Profits off of uh, his schemes to, to, uh, to take advantage of the instability that he created. Now he's up to it in the United States. He's got tentacles that reach into media, government, and politics. But he is Voldemort. You are not allowed to utter his name. We'll keep doing it on this show. we come back we're going to be joined by robert spencer to talk about his new book on american presidents right after this message to him right now with jim dawes on the mojo 50 radio network stick with us And you're back on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo Five-O Radio Network. Your daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an American nationalist perspective. Well, as we near the end of Trump's first term, Revisionist historians are busy downplaying his accomplishments and validating the Russia hoax and the other resistance efforts to cripple his presidency. Most presidential historians walk lockstep in today's hard left academic establishment. They favor presidents who were for big government and globalism, and they dislike presidents who lowered taxes, protected American workers, and avoided getting the United States in foreign conflicts. To discuss this, we're joined now by Robert Spencer, director of Jihad Watch and author of 19 books, including two New York Times bestsellers. His most recent is Rating America's Presidents, an America First Look at Who's Best, Who's Overrated, and Who Was an Absolute Disaster. You can get the book now on Amazon, and you can follow Robert Spencer at jihadwatch.org or on Twitter at jihadwatch. Robert, thanks for joining us again. It's Jihad Watch RS on Twitter, by the way. But yes, thank you. Jihad Watch RS on Twitter. Well, this book yes, is uh, kind of a departure from your other works. You have uh, been known as a, uh, a scholar on the issue of jihad and the uh, the rise of radical Islam. And at the risk of uh, sounding sort of cliche and asking an obvious question, why did you write this book?
5: Well, I thought that uh, what's being done. Uh, By the left, in going to war against our history, trying to make Americans ashamed of being American, uh, make them think that it's a terrible thing and that America has been nothing but a negative, malignant force in the world. I've been seeing this unfold for years, and now it's become uh, out in the open with the tearing down of the statues uh, earlier this year and so on. And so uh, I thought that there needed to be some pushback. And that uh, especially it was important to evaluate American history and the presidents, of course, in particular in this book, uh, on the basis of Mr. Trump's principle of America first, which seems to me to be a common sense idea that the president of the United States ought to put the welfare of Americans before anything else. And I evaluated all of the presidents on that basis. And so there are many surprises in this list and in this evaluation because uh for the most part this kind of evaluation has been done in the past by leftist socialist internationalist historians who rate the presidents who were worst for america at the top and the ones who were best for america at the bottom
1: well you really don't have to wonder uh where mainstream historians are going to come down on the trump presidency you have uh the the most uh premier of the current crop of presidential historians All over cable news, MSNBC and CNN uh, bashing the president. They've been uh, uh, deployed with the hashtag resistance movement. You got John Meacham over there at uh, MSNBC and Michael Beschloss, Doris Kern Goodwin. And uh, and, you know, they're the the voices of uh, the presidential historians. And they're they're on there sounding for all the world
5: like Rachel Maddow. Uh, (laughs) You're right, Jim. So it's uh, it's because, you know, they're not objective voices by any means. They're presented as if they're dispassionate historians. But actually, one of the foremost points that I'm trying to make by writing this book is that what we accept as uh, just common, ordinary history is actually very far slanted to the left. And there needs to be some pushback and some awareness of that.
1: Well, I'm reading your book now. It's 560 pages. It's uh it's a easy read, surprisingly easy read uh, for such a long book, but you've got a chapter on each of the American presidents evaluating them. And it, it occurred to me as I was skimming through it in preparation for this interview, that this is a, a, a great reference book to have on your bookshelf so that uh, you can push back on these, uh, these attacks that will inevitably come in the, uh, in the aftermath of hopefully uh, the president's second term. Um, give us an idea on who you evaluated as the best presidents for America and Americans and, uh, and who were the worst.
5: Yeah. Uh, there are four who I rate as the highest. And so that's my own personal Mount Rushmore. If I were recarving it, I would keep, uh, Washington and Lincoln on it. But, uh, the other two would be Calvin Coolidge and Donald J. Trump. And this is on the basis here again of the America first principle. Did these presidents leave America, uh, Americans safer and more prosperous uh, than they were before the presidency or weaker and poorer and so on? And now Trump, of course, people will say, oh, but you can't say that with unemployment so much higher and all these things. And, of course, this is due to the coronavirus catastrophe and hysteria uh, that is also being manipulated for political purposes at this point. But there is no doubt about his economic record before this hit, no doubt about the rapidity of the recovery, and no doubt in light of the agreements that were just signed between Israel and Bahrain and Israel and the United Arab Emirates, that he has absolutely transformed American foreign policy and broken impasses that had been uh, stymieing progress in those areas for decades
1: i saw your favorable treatment of uh, of quiet calvin coolidge in in your book and i was sort of surprised by that that's a, a historical um figure that has been absolutely savaged by uh the left why have you determined that uh he was one of the best
5: calvin coolidge cut regulations he cut taxes he kept us out of uh, unnecessary foreign entanglements that would have drained, uh, that would have uh, in, uh, harmed our sovereignty as a nation. Uh, he worked to head off by uh, changing some of the draconian measures that had been placed on Germany after World War One. He was trying to uh, restore a bit of sanity to that area, which might have headed off Hitler had... Uh, had the initiative in general been successful. Uh, But there's no doubt that he was responsible to a tremendous degree for the prosperity of the 20s. And one of the reasons why the left hates him so much is because uh, you look at the history of the 20th century, and there are very few genuinely conservative presidents, that is, presidents who uh, looked out for the economic well-being of Americans, and acted on America first principles economically and internationally. And they are Warren G. Harding, Calvin Coolidge, Ronald Reagan. That's about it.
1: Where did you come down on Teddy Roosevelt? He's one of my favorite presidents. He sort of, um, walked that line between an uh, America first, uh, agenda at the same time, uh, made sure that the American economy worked for the American worker.
5: Yeah. And so he's kind of a mixed bag. Uh, in this in uh, this evaluation, I wanted to rate him higher than I ended up doing, because, of course, he was such an atre- appealing personality and uh, such a large individual in terms of the impact that he had in so many ways on the United States and on the world. Uh, at the same time, the the, the thing that really stuck uh, with me and Teddy Roosevelt was the coal strike. That everybody's forgotten that there was a major coal strike during his presidency, and uh, there were people who were saying uh, – actually, he wanted to uh, send troops to reopen the coal mines, which uh, the owners had closed as a result of the strike. And he was told that he couldn't do that. It would be interference with, a private, with private enterprise in a manner that was unconstitutional. And he said, to hell with the Constitution when the people want coal. And I thought, well, that's, uh, uh, you know, I understand it, the, the go-getter spirit, the idea of uh, uh, taking the problem by the horns and solving it, that's all great. You know, we, we need men of action as president. At the same time, we need the Constitution also because it is our safeguard against tyranny. And when we say that it has to, its safeguards have to give way, because of some pressing necessity, well, then we're back in the world that we're in now, which is uh, that the Constitution has to be out the window if there's a, if there's a pandemic threat and so on. And this is, this is a very dangerous road to travel because the precedent is then set that the Constitution is not really the basic law of the country but can be set aside whenever it's uh, uh, deemed to be necessary to set it aside by the people in power and that can be a very dangerous thing, depending on who those people are.
1: Another president that I've always thought was uh, wildly underappreciated in uh, uh, in in history is James K. Uh, James K. Polk, uh, who expanded yeah. uh, you know the uh, manifest destiny and uh, uh, kept us largely out of foreign wars. Where did you come down on him?
5: Well, uh, unfortunately, i got to say that uh, I'm not a fan of the Mexican War. Um, I think that, yeah, people have said California, Texas, this was uh, something that uh, was inevitable that, um, that the United States would expand into those areas. I'm just not sure that uh, it was done in the wisest way. And I am not on uh, uh, shaky ground here or talking like some uh, – Uh, uh, anti-war, leftist, anti-American, because uh, actually two people who opposed the Mexican War at the time, uh, surprisingly enough, were Abraham Lincoln and Ulysses S. Grant. And uh, Grant actually fought in the Mexican War, but he wrote later in his memoirs that there had never been a more unjust war in the history of the world. And uh, he thought that it had been the cause of, of the Civil War in the sense of actually divine judgment that God had punished the United States for the Mexican War by going into the Civil War. Now, I'm not a theologian, and I'm not getting behind that idea, but just saying that there were people who were wise and discerning and who are great men themselves who thought the Mexican War was unwise, Uh, and certainly uh, it's an ongoing nagging problem. Uh, the, with the border and with Mexico and with uh, lingering resentments and groups like La Raza that say that that's really the, the, their land and so on, uh, maybe all those things could have been headed off if we had obtained that territory in another way.
1: If we had obtained it uh, another way, boy, this uh, this conversation makes me want to go pour us a couple of beers. This is uh, this is good bar talk. <laughs> uh, where did you come out? Yeah. Uh, where did you come down on the worst
5: presidents for America? There were quite a few of those, unfortunately, more worse than best, uh, quite a few who got zeros or ones on a scale of 10. Uh, most notably, of course, is, is recently Mr. Obama, uh, who, uh, you know something, there's a telling incident about Obama. During the 2008 campaign, he was uh, photographed walking from one airplane to another, hurrying from from uh, whatever he, one travel, uh, one political engagement to another and he was holding a book with his thumb in the book, making sure he, he kept his place and the book was The Post-American World by Fareed Zakaria of CNN. Now the post-American world essentially says that America is the problem in the world and if America were weakened politically, militarily and economically then there would be peace in the world because there wouldn't be one huge superpower looming over everybody else. Now when you think about that that's exactly the kind of policy that Obama implemented as president. And he did leave America weaker politically, militarily, and economically. And so you got to wonder. Maybe he was doing it on purpose. I don't think he was stupid or inept. And so uh, that's the kind of thing that leads, you, leads me to give him a zero. Yeah, and I enumerate the things that he did as president in the book. And every last one of them was bad for America and bad for America.
1: Well, if nothing else, the book is worth that as a, a historical documentation of that, because uh, your book is probably the only book where you would read that, um, that uh, interpretation. Where do you come down on yeah. uh, uh, FDR? Um, you know, I, I know people love to love them and love to hate them. Uh, I come from the South of uh, sort of, uh, you know, uh, a... Uh, A poor stock of Southerners. And uh, I remember in my family, they treated him as a deity. Uh, And then when I got to school and started looking at his record more closely, I recognized a lot of the beginnings of um, the the great society and the other things that so did so much damage to this country.
5: Yeah, absolutely. He was the foremost exponent of this big government, rapid expansion of federal power, the the insinuation of federal power into virtually every aspect of human life, uh, totally in disregard to constitutional restrictions. Uh, he didn't start all that, but he gave it its biggest push. And for that, I rate him extremely low. He did get a one, not a zero. And that's because he was an inspiration uh, for many Americans during World War II. And uh, certainly World War II was a just war that we had every business being in uh, because of being struck at Pearl Harbor and because of the immense evil that the Hitler regime represented Uh, at the same time for all his popularity and all the inspiration that he was, at the, he was also uh, responsible for numerous errors, uh, real tremendous errors during World War II. Uh, one of them was actually before World War II when there was every sign that uh, Japan was going to attack us, and actually some of the policies that he himself had pursued made Japan more antagonistic to the United States, and yet he did nothing, zero, to get the Pacific fleet and the Pacific forces of the United States in general onto a war footing. And so we were completely sitting ducks at Pearl Harbor that didn't need to happen, and a lot of people would not have been killed if he had had us in a greater state of readiness. Uh, In the middle of the war, he called for unconditional surrender, of Nazi Germany. And, you know, that sounds like being intransigent against evil and that's all to the good. But it also took the wind out of the sails of Germans who actually opposed Hitler. And there were some high level German generals and such who were plotting to get Hitler removed. But when this when the unconditional surrender thing came out, then they said, Well there's no point because we can't negotiate any better terms We'd have to fight to the death, and so there's no point in trying to take out Hitler, and of course the the repercussions of that are extraordinary. He refused to take action like bombing Auschwitz, which he was asked to do, uh, because he said, oh, they'll just move it down the road, and he didn't want it to look as if he was fighting a war to save the Jews and uh, that is a great moral evil because when you have a people who are being subjected to genocide why you, why not fight a war to 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 save them uh, especially when it coincides with american interests to do so and finally at the end of the war he desperately ill he nonetheless flew halfway around the world to meet Stalin at yalta in the crimea in, in russia Disaster. Uh, and Yeah, gave him Eastern Europe on a platter. And so, you know, the war started before we got into it because Britain and France had guaranteed Poland's sovereignty and guaranteed its safety against Germany. And the war ended with Poland being given to the Soviet Union. So it ended up that Poland was not free either way and was essentially betrayed by the Western allies.
1: (sighs) So we're winding down uh, to the end of Trump's first term. Um, he has been, like no other president by my rating in history, been uh, opposed by every means, hook and crook, by all of the establishments uh, and institutions of this country, uh, including media, academia, government, uh, law enforcement, intelligence agencies. And yet he has uh, some major accomplishments uh, that he can point to and, uh, and, you know, they're now being obscured by the, the coronavirus crisis. Uh, how um, do you believe that uh, history will ultimately
5: treat the Donald Trump presidency? Well, if free societies survive, and right now they're under tremendous attack, then he will be regarded as a hero for reasserting national sovereignty over internationalism, For protecting Americans economically via the high tariffs, for uh, bringing peace to the Middle East by bypassing the jihadist intransigence of the Palestinians and having Israel make uh, agreements with other countries in the region regardless of the Palestinians, by uh, uh, cutting regulations, getting the economy going again, by exposing the dangers of our economic entanglement with China, it just goes on and on and on. The man's accomplished an extraordinary amount in three and a half years.
1: I don't think there's anybody that would have had the energy, resilience, and uh, just dogged determination to to have uh, nearly the number of accomplishments to point to while he was undergoing a, an assault right from the uh, very, well, from before his inauguration. Uh, and then once that ended, they, they spun on their heels and turned right toward a, a bogus impeachment. And yet, uh, prior to this uh, this virus attacking us, uh, he had one of the best economies in the history of the nation, and he's got uh, some great foreign policy achievements to point to. Uh, that's the area that the president can act, um, you know, most independently. And uh, and you know, they're they're already trying to re- write a revisionist history of uh, the progress on peace in the Middle East, and uh, and I think that that uh is going to be looked at or it's going to have to be looked at uh, by historians as a major major achievement
5: so yeah, no doubt about it
1: 560 pages but it's a great read it's got a chapter on each of the 45 presidents evaluating them on whether or not they were good for america or bad for america the book is R- rating america's presidents an america first look at who's best who's overrated and who was an absolute disaster you can get it on amazon And you can follow Robert Spencer at jihadwatch.org. Robert, thanks for joining us. I hope you'll come back again.
5: Hey, thanks. Call me anytime, Jim. Take care.
0: When the weather outside is frightful, the Hyundai Santa Fe is, Hmm, what's the word, delightful. Because it's got available H-track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit amazon.com slash hyundai, or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details.
1: I love having Robert Spencer on. He is uh, an expert on the rise of radical Islam and the threat it poses to Western civilization. But this new book, and I really can't uh, recommend it strongly enough, is just, uh, you know, it's a big book, but you don't have to read it all at once. You can keep it on your nightstand and educate yourself on a nationalist view of, uh, of all the presidents and just, uh, just, you know, take bites of one chapter at a time. Oh, we talked there about, uh, foreign policy and Trump's, uh, ability, uh, at, after decades, decades of intractable war in the Middle East, um, that, uh, Donald Trump has reordered the, the, the whole mindset over there and is starting to, uh, to make p- peace between the Arab world and Israel. And I wanted to remind you of, of the old mindset that was such a complete failure. And I found this clip from John Kerry, who was telling us back then that the exact uh, strategy that the Trump administration pursued on peace in the Middle East would not work. There will be no separate peace between Israel and the Arab world. I want to make that very clear to all of you. I've heard several prominent politicians in Israel sometimes saying, well, the Arab world's in a different place now. We just have to reach out to them, and we can work some things with the Arab world, and we'll deal with the Palestinians. No, 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 and no. I can tell you that reaffirmed even in the last week as I have talked to leaders of the Arab community. There will be no. Advance and separate peace with the Arab world without the Palestinian process and Palestinian peace. Everybody needs to understand that. Everybody needs to understand that there will be no peace. And yet Donald Trump pursued that exact strategy of getting the Middle Eastern nations uh, to make peace with Israel in order to put pressure on the Palestinians to to end their uh, their intractable war against Israel And uh, and it's working. You know, uh, Robert Spencer, uh, he he alluded to whether or not the Obama administration was failing uh, out of stupidity and ineptitude, or if they were doing it on purpose, I tend to come down on the ladder. I don't think uh, that the Obama administration wanted peace in the Middle East. I don't think they wanted to advance American interests in the Middle East. And uh, putting John Kerry as the Secretary of State, a um, one-time—I'm reluctant to use the word traitor, but somebody who had undermined the war effort in uh, in Southeast Asia and uh, and referred to America in the most hateful terms— um, putting that man as the Secretary of State would almost guarantee that you would not have an America First agenda uh, on the world stage. Well, Donald Trump gave a press conference yesterday, and uh, you know these things go on too long. I think, and uh, and I think he's a little overexposed. But uh, at one point in yesterday's press conference, he started uh, citing new census bureau statistics that we're talking about the Trump economy prior to the, uh, the current virus crisis, the pandemic, the dim panic, the pandemic. And, uh, I think this is, uh, needs to go on a, a, um, an ad as soon as possible.
4: The census recently found that in the second quarter of 2020, Hispanic Americans' homeownership reached a record all-time high. That's all-time in the history of our country. Yesterday, the census reported that median income for Americans increased by an unprecedented $4,400 last year to a record of $68,700. In 2019, income inequality fell for the second straight year, The income gap widened under the Obama-Biden administration, and it widened fairly substantially, and it narrowed under the Trump administration. So there's a little fact that you didn't know. So it narrowed under us, and it widened under Obama. Income grew more last year alone than over the entire eight years of Obama-Biden.
1: Let's stop and appreciate that just a little bit. Income grew last year alone than more than all eight years under the Obama-Biden administration. In one year, we had a, a, a shrinking of the income gap and more wage increases in one year than in the previous eight.
4: Obama... Biden administration, and it widened fairly substantially, and it narrowed under the Trump administration. So there's a little fact that you didn't know. So it narrowed under us, and it widened under Obama. Income grew more last year alone than over the entire eight years of Obama-Biden. And uh, that's a big statement. But that's-
1: It goes on and on like that. Uh, this really was uh, perhaps uh, the best economy the best economy I know in my lifetime, but perhaps even uh, the best economy in this nation's history. Well, I see on social media that the celebrities are boycotting. They're uh, they're not giving us the the gift of their wisdom on Instagram and Facebook. They are boycotting it for one day. So what, what are we going to do? How will we go forward from here? We're not going to hear from De Niro or Depp or... A Snoop Dogg or any of these other celebrities that uh, have been threatening violence against the President of the United States for the last four years. Oh, man, I just want to crawl into bed and and cry, cry my eyes out. We're not going to be able to hear from Kim Kardashian and, and uh, all of these leftist idiots. I think they should... Uh, they should just boycott it permanently. That takes us to the end. Come back again here tomorrow on Mojo 5
4: This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships. Just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwans.com backslash yum for details.
0: Don't let impaired driving ruin your holiday. Always have a plan for a sober ride. D.C. police are arresting drunk and drug drivers. Drive sober or get pulled over. Message from the District Department of Transportation and Metropolitan Police Department.